Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 271 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Micah Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. We are checking me out live right now. As I always remind you, please make sure you're subscribed. Please make sure that you click that notification bell. If you can't catch the live video show on Monday, remember, every Monday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, same time, same channel, every Monday. If you can't catch the live video, though, the audio podcast comes out Tuesday on Montero on Boxing podcast platform. So uh, look for me or uh, the Montero on Boxing profile, I should say, on podcast platform. So find me, subscribe, like, share, leave ratings, leave reviews, all that good stuff. It helps me tremendously. Um, As you saw just a second ago, new issue of Rig Magazine is out. Check it out, man. Double issue, right? We got a, a special this month. So this is, I kept it in the package because I wanted to show you guys the way the, the packaging comes. I'm going to rip this open right here on the show. This month, you're getting an awesome, awesome value, man. You got um, Canelo Elvarez on the cover, cover story about his undisputed quest at super middleweight, right? So that's the actual magazine. But then we got this special here. The Showbox 20 Anniversary Commemorative Issue. This is pretty badass. Showbox has been a great, great thing for boxing. Uh, how many times have we seen guys prove themselves on Showbox and then go on to be world champions? Uh, we've seen a lot of guys put their O's on line against each other on Showbox. I think this is pretty damn cool that you guys get this. If you order the magazine this month, you get the, the double issue, pretty damn cool. And we're going to be doing more and more uh, special edition issues in the coming months. Uh, it's actually, I was talking to Doug, Doug Fisher, uh, this weekend because of a blow up situation and some last minute changes we had to make to the issue that's uh, about to go to print. And um, we were, he was he was mentioning how uh, it's hard to keep up. Uh, with with fight changes you know you go to print and then boom there's a last minute change we just had that this weekend i'll talk about that in a second because i was scrambling to update a piece i had done uh for the new issue of the magazine that i had to completely redo yesterday so i spent my sunday uh scrambling to try to get fighters on the phone to try to get advisors on the phone uh and promoters i should say and uh talk to everybody and get a new piece out. So uh, we're definitely going to be doing more of the special issues. I mean, recently you guys have seen uh, special issues dedicated to Hagler, Tyson, uh, Gotti Ward. There's a Gotti Ward tribute. There was a Pacquiao magazine uh, that I was uh, blessed and privileged enough to be a part of. Uh, so, so we're going to be doing more of that stuff. And I know a lot of you guys appreciate them. But anyway, this month you get the double, the double whammy, right? You get the right and the left this month. So make sure you check out the new issue. All right, guys. Um, phone lines are open, by the way, but I'm going to hold off from taking some of your calls. I see a couple of you guys are already on the line. Uh, so sit back. Let me get into the show a little bit, and then we'll jump on to some calls, okay? Uh, we have a lot of stuff to review from last weekend, of course. And then we got a pretty loaded schedule this weekend, too. So uh, let's jump into news and notes. Um, oh, a few of you guys have asked. I, I did some commentary for a club show here in Atlanta Saturday night. So uh, between that and then uh, some stuff I had to do for the magazine Sunday, it was a busy, busy weekend. Actually, I went to that weigh-in too Friday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday were pretty swamped for me. 
great experience, man. Uh, had a lot of fun at the show. There were some tech difficulties with the stream and all that stuff. So that was a little bit of a club show catastrophe. But the actual show itself that Terry Moss put on there at Buckhead Fight Club was great. Uh, a lot of fun fights. And um, it was just good just to be around local boxing. I love club shows. Had a lot of fun uh, doing that. And we'll be doing more of that in shows coming up soon. Okay, let's get into news and notes, man. All right. Uh, so the big one, the big one is Tiafima Lopez testing positive for COVID, right? And so that happened uh, last week, just before he was set to face George Cambosis Jr. on uh, on June 19th with that loaded June 19th uh, Saturday schedule. And uh, there were immediately people out there that thought, this is fake. This is fake news. They're faking it. And I get it. On the surface, it does look a little fishy. It looks a little strange. Uh, you have a, a young athlete in his, the prime of his life. Uh, he's around a bunch of other people. They don't get COVID. Um, I think maybe one family member did, but it's not as if the entire promotion got it, you know, and it's supposed to be an extremely contagious virus. I get it, guys, but I take them at their word. I really do feel that Lopez tested positive for COVID. COVID's still here. Okay. Um, the, I'm not going to get political here, but the media now is trying to pretend like it's over because they got their way last fall. And, and so they're trying to paint things a certain way now, right? Sunshine and rainbows. It's still here. People are still catching COVID. It's still a real thing. Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, Triller promoter, Ryan Cavanaugh said that Tiafima Lopez had 102 degree fever it was measuring it at 90% oxygen. So both of those are concerning figures, especially for a guy who has asthma. As you all know, COVID, the overwhelming majority, 99 plus percent of the people who died from COVID had pre-existing health conditions, were elderly, were overweight. So Tiafiba Lopez doesn't check all those boxes, but he does check one with the asthma. So this is something that him and his team got to take seriously. The tentative date that was postponed to the Lopez Cambosis fight was August 14th, right? Here's the thing. The Zone and Showtime have cards on August 14th as well. And a week after that, on August 21st, is the Pacquiao Spence pay-per-view. So August is pretty loaded already. So the conspiracy theorists out there that were saying, oh, they're faking all this because uh, the – you know, the, the tickets weren't selling very well. And June 19th had such a loaded schedule. Uh, they had to, you know, he couldn't make weight. I've seen that excuse. Um, so they fake this. I don't know, guys. Why, why would you go as much as, as crowded as June 19th was? None of the fights on the schedule, honestly, were as compelling, in my opinion, as Lopez Cambosis was. And none of the cards top to bottom were brought in as much value as the Triller show did. Now, the Triller show was pay-per-view, and it wasn't pay-per-view worthy, so there's that, but it was the most intriguing event. It featured the legitimate lightweight championship. Mauricio Suleiman, by the way, I saw an interview this weekend where he once again said Tiafima Lopez is the undisputed lightweight champion of the world, but Devin Haney's the WBC champion, whatever the hell that means. I can't make any sense of it, but... Hey, Suleiman himself said Lopez is undisputed lightweight champion. So this was for an undisputed championship. You know, this was a 
Anyway, as loaded as June 19th was, I think August is more loaded. The fights that you're getting on August 14th, especially the, the Bantamweight fight that you're going to get on Showtime that PBC is giving you, destroys the Lopez-Cambosos fight. Why would you want to go up against that? Plus, it's a pay-per-view. The following week, there's a much, much better pay-per-view. Might be more expensive, but still, people are going to save their money for the Pac Spence fight. So if they fake this, and this was some elaborate scheme, why would you put it on in August against a more loaded schedule than you are already facing? It just doesn't make sense. This fight was already delayed. The whole process of it was has been delayed. Here's my thing, okay? As I mentioned before, Lopez, young, healthy. I have full confidence he's going to make a complete recovery from this, okay? 100% confident in that. But he does have asthma. And boxing is a cardiovascular sport. It requires extraordinary conditioning, especially at the highest level. Is he going to be ready by August 14th? That's the part that I don't really buy into. I don't think this fight is happening until the fourth quarter. I think they're going to take some time to announce that. But it would not surprise me at all if in July or maybe even early August, that date gets pushed back again because one of the side effects of COVID that I have heard from people, particularly fighters, is that it takes a while after you recover. It takes months. Some of these guys, it takes them months, particularly heavyweights, uh, to get your lungs back, to get out there and really do uh, substantial road work and, and put in hard rounds of sparring and everything because these guys don't have their lungs. It takes a month or two. So I don't think Lopez is going to be ready by August 14th. I see this fight happening in October or something like that in the fourth quarter, which is crazy. And it's a damn shame that Lopez is only going to fight once in 2021 after having that breakthrough 2020. Just lost all the damn momentum he had. Tough sport, man. Tough sport. All right. Uh, also, Guillermo Rigondeau out for August 14th. Nonito Donaire is in. Now, this is what I was alluding to at the beginning of the show. I had done a piece, a preview piece, on the Rigondio casimiro fight for the next issue of The Ring. I talked to Rigondio. I talked to uh, Casimiro. I talked to their teams. And I put together a 2,000-word piece, nicely edited, sent it off to Doug Fisher and Tom Gray right before the deadline, which was, by the way, the day after my birthday. So I worked on my birthday. Oh, no, it was actually, it was on my birthday. The deadline was on my birthday. So I worked on my birthday to get that piece out, right? I work every damn day, man. This was on a Sunday I got that piece out. And then what happens? Not even a week later, the fight completely changes. PBC announces that uh, they're going to have Casimiro and Donaire fight on August 14th. Now, much better fight. Right, All of us are on board with that. It's a much better fight. It's an all-Filipino showdown, which is going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a great crowd atmosphere because PBC is intelligently putting it on at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. There's a very large Filipino population in California, period. It's the biggest in, the, in America, uh, especially up in the Bay Area. A lot of those folks will come down. That's where Donaire is based now. But in L.A., there's a huge Filipino population as well. So the crowd is going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun, the atmosphere for this fight. But the fight itself, just because of the styles, much, much better. And it's a unification. These are two legitimate 
world title holders. Donaire has the BC, Casimero the BO, and these are legit. Rigondeau's title is one of the WBA's 4,000 titles in the Bantamweight division. It was a paper title. He's not really seen as the real champ. That's Noyoya Inouye, right? We, we already know that. But these two guys are, are both legit title holders. So you, we, recognize, we recognize Inouye as the champion, but just under him is Donaire and Casimero, and these two guys are going to fight. So two of the top three Bantamweights in the world right now are going to fight each other. Awesome job by PBC. I just wish you guys would have announced it two weeks prior so you could have saved me a day of my life. But I'm happy to take it, man. That is an awesome matchup. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. And, and to me, again, even if Lopez and Cambosas fight on the 14th, and also I think uh, I mentioned it before, I think zone has a card as well on the 14th. Easily the best fight on, on that night is going to be the, the PBC show on Showtime. That was just an amazing freaking fight, man. All right, let's get into the review, guys. And then I promise I'll get to some of your calls in just a few, all right? But I wanted to plow through these, uh, just review what we saw last week because it was a loaded, loaded weekend. And I should mention that the card that I covered here in Atlanta, uh, there was an upset special. Jimmy Williams uh, scored an upset over Yuri Foreman. We had Yuri Foreman on the show last Monday and he was making his comeback and uh, he dropped a decision. So that was an upset special that, uh, you know, if you're Yuri Foreman now, you have to consider, you have to reconsider this comeback thing. So that was in the main event of the card that I worked here in Atlanta. But uh, going to Mexico in Guadalajara, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., 58 years old, going up against Hector Camacho Jr. This was a exhibition fight. And Chavez looked pretty good. Uh, it was an exhibition. You're not supposed to score exhibitions and everything. But Chavez definitely did the better work. To, to look that good at that age, especially considering all the damage he had taken in the ring as a fighter, all the tough, grueling fights, and then the hard living outside the ring, pretty damn impressive. Not so much with his son. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Junior dropped a split decision to uh, Brazil's Anderson Silva, who I talked about last week in the preview, is one and well, came in one and one as a boxer. Now he has a winning record as a boxer, technically. But 46 years old, and the two guys that he fought in Brazil were very, very low-level opponents. I would beat both of them. I'm going to put that in a rack. I'll say it right now. I'd beat both the guys Silva beat, right? Or actually, he lost to one of them. So he comes in one and one in this fight. And no disrespect to those guys. If a chump like me could beat them, I'm just saying that's the level of opponent that these guys were. So even though Junior is a catastrophe, He's an absolute catastrophe. He's a disaster. He was still favored to win this fight. And then on top of it, it's in Mexico. It's his father's fight card, right? You just you, you look down the line at everything, and every single checkbox favors Junior. And still he blew it. He still blew it. And Silva gets the W here. What an absolute freak show. Now, I should also mention um, that uh, Chavez Jr. missed weight by several pounds. Is that really news? Does that surprise any of you? That's like Adrian Broner missing weight. It, it's the same kind of thing. In fact, I expect Jr. to miss weight more than Broner, right? So I, my, my thing is with this, with, the, with this whole situation, I saw people on Twitter bitching and, and complaining. 
and I didn't tweet much this weekend because I was so busy, but I, I checked my feed a couple times and, you know, I, I, I like to look at what people are posting. I checked out some of the Facebook uh, boxing chat rooms and stuff. I like to just keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I saw people bitching. I saw people complaining uh, in English and in Spanish. Uh, and what I don't understand is some of you out there are still trying to take this dude seriously. When are you going to learn that he's a freak? And I'm not trying to say this to be an asshole. I'm just telling the truth. And I think Junior would actually say it too. He's a troll. He's having a good time. And he's just being the freak show, the circus act that he is. Once you embrace that, have a good time with it. You won't be disappointed. But that's what it is. That's what Junior is. So stop trying to take him seriously. Stop being disappointed when he misses weight. Go in expecting him to miss weight. Be disappointed if he makes weight. That's when you should be disappointed at this point. That's what I don't get about some of you guys. You just you just don't you don't want to see it for what it is. All right. All right. We're gonna go north of the border now to El Paso, Texas, where Jaime Munguia headlined a Golden Boy on the Zone card, scored a six-round retirement win over Camille Zermeda, who is a last-minute replacement. Remember, he was originally supposed to face Macy Suleki. And Suleki dropped, I think was injured. So this fight got postponed. Then it got rescheduled and he just dropped out. I don't even know why he dropped out the second time. Anyway, two weeks notice, uh, Zermeda comes in. So great performance by Mungia. He did look very, very sharp here. I do think that uh, Eric Morales working in his corner is helping him. They're refining some things. But for me, it's really, really hard to gauge where Mungia is based off of this win. He was going up against a guy that was a last-minute replacement, two weeks' notice. So, and I, some people, of course, on Twitter, they couldn't help themselves. Uh, you know, Mungia stops Zermeda in six. Triple G, it took him seven. Of course, anything to get on down on Triple G, right? But you guys, uh, Triple G was facing a fully prepared Zermeda and an undefeated one. Mungia was facing him on two weeks notice coming off a loss. So very, very different situations. You know what I'm saying? Still good performance by Mungia. However, am I ready to say he's ready to beat Charlo, ready to beat Golovkin and those kind of guys? No, you can't really, again, you just can't gauge where he is right now based on this performance, but considering everything, considering um, what he had in front of him, he did what he was supposed to do. So in that regard, I give him an A for this performance. You know what I'm saying? He, he did his thing. He did what he was supposed to do against this level of opponent coming in with only two weeks to prepare. So I give him credit, but not ready to call him a future champion at middleweight quite yet. However, on this card, man, upset special of the year and probably knockout of the year. Could you guys name me a bigger upset or a bigger knockout? Gabe Rosado, everybody in the boxing world was happy for him. Everybody was rooting for him this Saturday night. Dropped in the first round against Bektamir Melokuziev, Bek the bully, right? Who I, I got to admit, I was I was actually talking about this fight with, uh, with a few folks at the weigh-in I was at in Atlanta Friday because a few folks there uh, had worked with, with Gabe and, and knew him well. And I was telling them, man, Gabe's going to get beat up in that fight. Gabe has bled so much. He was a 54, then a 60. Now he's fighting at 68. This kid he's fighting is just a, a rough, rugged customer. He's going to get beat the hell up. That's what I told everybody. And then 24 hours later, I look like an idiot because, well, 
around in, it looked like what I was saying was going to happen because Rosado was dropped early on. It wasn't a bad knockdown, but he was dropped. But man, man, oh man, he, um, I think Rosado saw a, a tick in Beck the bully and something that he kept doing. Beck was diving in, wasn't even coming in behind the jab, diving in with his head, dipping his head to his left and shooting a left hand to the body, was telegraphing it from a mile away. And he's been doing that kind of stuff for a while. And I think he is a prospect that maybe fell in love a little bit with his power, got used to being able to bully everyone, hence his nickname, Beck the Bully. And Gabe saw it and just set him up, man. And Gabe was backed on the ropes, I think, toward the corner, saw Beck coming in and just shot a, a sweet, short, looping right hand right over the top, caught him coming in. It was lights out, and that was it. I'm actually going to share the video with you guys real quick. I'm sure all of you have seen it by now, but just in case you haven't, let's go to it, man. Here we go. I want to make sure you guys can see this. Check this out, man. Just a thing of beauty. Boom. It just it happened so quick. Uh, you know, I got to back this up. You see how badly hurt Beck is. I mean, he tried to get up, but he was absolutely done. Came in and that punch got him right on the temple. Uh, and, he, and he moved into the punch, which is always a really, really bad thing. And, you know, Beck is really a badass for even trying to get up. That would have slept most dudes. I mean, they would have been unconscious for minutes. But what a fantastic. I'm going to see if I can pause it right on the punch. Uh, right there. Yeah, so so I know it's blurry, guys, but I paused it here because I wanted you to see, first of all, where Beck's head is at versus where, and his shoulders, versus where Gabe's are. Uh, Gabe, number one, has his left hand up fairly well, but his head is off the line. Beck's is on the line. He was coming in to touch the body, but he kept his head on the line here. He changed levels with his Legs, you see his knees bent here, but his head is on the line. It's one of the first things that a boxer should learn, man, getting your damn head off the line, particularly if you're the taller guy. And he dove in there, head on the line. Gabe got his head off the line, put everything into that shot. You see it's turning over on it. Uh, he's got his butt and his back into that shot, got it, uh, turned over with his shoulder, right shoulders past the left one, put everything into it, even though it was short. And that was that, man. Boom, lights out. Just a, a thing of freaking beauty. And it couldn't have happened to a guy uh, who was more deserving because Gabriel, Gabriel Rosado has fought everybody, everybody. And this is a guy that was really seen as an opponent-level fighter, an undercard-level fighter for years and just kept going and kept going. And I'll be honest, I mean, there have been times where I've seen Gabriel fight and I've been like, man, he needs to think about hanging him up. You know, he needs to think about um, his his future, his health, because he cuts so much. He bleeds so much. There's so much scar tissue on this guy's face. He's been in some really, really tough fights. And yet here he is still doing his thing in 2021 and scores the, again, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but from what I've seen so far, this is 2021 knockout of the year so far. And this is... Uh, the upset of the year so far. We haven't seen anything better than that. So <laughs> Darth Vapor in the chat says, Regan Dow, Regan Dow. He doesn't like the way I, listen, I said Regan Dow for years. And then I had somebody from Cuba tell me it's Regan Dow. 
I've heard it pronounced 8,000 different ways, but that's the latest pronunciation uh, I've been told there is, Rigondio. It sounds sexier too, Rigondio. Sounds much sexier than Rigondio. So, but that's just the way I've heard it pronounced, all right? And I've heard people tell me that's the way I'm supposed to say it. So deal with it, Darth Vapor in the chat. All right, um, also on this card, Marla Desparza wins a flyweight title. She was down the first round, wins unanimous decision. Uh, th- here's the thing with Marlon Esparza. She's lost a couple of times. Well, I think she fought for one title before against uh, Sinicia Estrada and lost. No shame in that. I think Estrada is one of the top 10 female fighters in the world, pound for pound. But one stoppage win in 10 fights. And that's the problem with a lot of these women trying to market themselves. She's got a world title now. Golden Boy's done good for her. But one stoppage in 10 fights. For you math geniuses out there, that's a 10%. KO percentage. That's not exactly going to get people uh, excited to see her fights. All right, let's jump over to Las Vegas, top rank on ESPN from the Virgin Hotels in Sin City. In the main event, Noyoya Inoue scores a KO3 win over a Filipino fighter, Michael Das Marinas, who came in with a shit resume and had no business being in there against Inoue. However, is that Inoue's fault? Nope. He can only fight who's in front of him. Kind of like I just talked about with Jaime Munguia. And Munguia took care of business against Hermeda. Inouye took care of business in a much shorter time against Das Marinas. Not that I'd put Das Marinas on the level of Zermeda because he's not. But KO3 win here defends his ring and a couple of the sanctioning organization Bantamweight titles. And these knockdowns are all with body shots. He touched him once with a left hook to the liver uh, in the second round. The, the Filipino kid did not respond well, went down, was down, I want to say, yeah, once in the second round, twice in the third round, and that third knockdown, that was it. Just uh, killed, his, killed his liver, man. Naoya Inouye, the monster, he does not like livers. He just beats up on livers. He is an anti-liver human being. I would not want to go in there. With, if I was fighting that dude, I would have my livers guarded. I'd have my elbows down around my ribs, I'm telling you right now. Also on this card, Michaela Mayer, unanimous decision win over Erica Farias, the Argentinian fighter who has now lost four of her last six. She's never been stopped. She does go rounds. She went to distance with Delphine Persoon, uh, Cecilia Brecus, and in two fights with Jessica McCaskill. So she goes rounds. She's fought, I think, as high as like 147, and this was at 130. Um, Mayer defends her WBO 130 title. And, um, but again, Farias lost four of six now. So, you know, she's at a certain level, right? Now, here's the thing again with Michaela Mayer. And I'm not saying this to be sexist. I don't want any of those labels thrown at me. I'm just telling you guys the real five stoppages in 15 fights. And most of those stoppages were in her early fights when she was fighting D level opposition. She has one stoppage in her last eight fights. Okay. What is that? That's 12.5%. So a 12.5% KO rating in her last eight fights. And, when, and most of those fights weren't even against top opposition. She's only recently in her last four or five fights really stepped up and started fighting a higher class of opponents. So if you're not going to knock out girls, good-looking, young, smart, has an attitude on Twitter, you know, markets herself, all that good stuff, okay, I get it. But if you're not knocking girls out, going to be hard to get the casual fans interested. And that is a problem that a lot of female fighters face. So until you get 
that girl who comes in and she's drilling girls and she's knocking girls out and creating that kind of buzz and excitement. That's what Ronda Rousey was able to do over at UFC because she was submitting girls. She was, you know, arm barring them and all that kind of stuff. And Amanda Nunez right now, she stops girls. Cyborg in her prime was stopping girls, right? That's, you know, there's more ways to stop somebody over there. You don't necessarily have to have explosiveness and upper body strength to do it in MMA. Not the same way you need to in boxing. You need a lot more athleticism to knock someone out in boxing. I get that. That's going to work against female fighters, biology, yo. But I'm telling you, at some point, one of these girls is going to go pro and she's going to start knocking everybody out. And that's going to be the, the woman that really transcends female boxing. It will happen at some point. But Michaela Mayer, it's not going to be her. Also on this card, Isaac Dogbay uh, scores a majority decision win over Adam Lopez in a featherweight fight. He is 2-0 at 126 pounds since the two losses to Emmanuel Navarrete at 122 uh, a year or so ago. And in Houston, Texas, we go back down to Texas at the Toyota Center. Uh, TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime. Jermall Charlo scores a unanimous decision win over Juan Macias Montiel, who is a fighter out of Mexico, who's 22-4-2. Probably a little better, a little more rugged and awkward than a lot of fight fans and myself uh, maybe didn't give him credit for came into this fight and, and did everything he could do to survive. That being said, it was a completely one-sided fight. This was virtually a shutout by Charlo, who defends his WBC middleweight title. He did miss weight by, I think, four ounces. I haven't seen a mention of that. I saw some write-ups on this fight from the usual, usual suspects in the media. They didn't mention that. But, you know, it was probably it – was it wasn't a big deal. He, he made weight. It was maybe just a miscalculation on the team scale or whatever, but uh, still should at least be mentioned, right? Should at least be mentioned. But Charlo got absolutely beat up on social media for his performance in this fight. And a lot of people were saying, oh, Mungia will beat him. Look what Mungia did to a level, to an opponent at this level. And for the record, Mungia fought a better fighter than Montiel. Zermeda, that version of Zermeda still probably beats Montiel. It would have been a competitive fight though. But, you know, Munguia had a better opponent, stopped him. Uh, Charlo, you know, probably gets beat by Munguia, right? And Golovkin beats Charlo, and all these guys beat Charlo. Slow down, everybody. I think it's pretty clear Charlo didn't take Montiel that seriously. I think it's clear that he took him a little lightly. Not that they should have done that. Not that I'm making excuses for him. You should never take an opponent lightly. But I think this wasn't the guy we saw fight Derevyanchenko, was it? The guy that fought Derevyanchenko probably stops Montejo late rounds. Um, but, and again, Derevyanchenko probably done as a fighter at the top level. I mean, Triple G beat everything out of him. So he was coming into that fight off a loss and a, a layoff. I get it, guys. I get it. But still, the Charlotte beat Derevyanchenko, that's not who this guy was Saturday night. And I think people are uh, being a little too harsh. Styles make fights. You're not always going to get a guy out of there. Some dudes some dudes are just going to run and survive. There's that. But then there's some dudes who just have an iron will, and they're like, dude, you, you ain't stopping me tonight. You're going to have to kill me or carry me out of here on a stretcher. I am not stopping. And I think that's what Montiel did. You know, he's fighting in Houston. There was a lot of Mexican, Mexican-American fans there. He had a lot of pride on the line for him. And it was a matter of pride just to go the distance. And he did that. Wasn't remotely competitive. 
but he went the distance. So does this mean Charlo is a complete joke at 160 and everyone's just going to Andre and everyone would just beat his ass? No, I don't believe that. I think that he fights up and down to the level of his opposition. I do think he's inconsistent in fights. Both the Charlos are. Uh, you know, we've seen inconsistencies with Jamal. The fight with Korobov, for example, he's kind of been up and down, man. It's kind of been up and down. But for those of you out there who have got both Charlos on your pound for pound list already, and some of you have had both Charlos on your pound for pound list for years, including some A-listers in the media. Um, well, that was more for political reasons, but still, um, slow down. Let, let these guys develop and let them prove it. Now, Jermel Charlo has a complete unification fight coming up with Castaño. Should he win that fight, and I think he will, then you can't, you cannot, you can't not put him in the top 10 pound for pound at that point. It's undeniable. Regardless of what you think about his resume in terms of the level of opposition he's fought, and neither Charlos have fought really a murderer's row of opponents. But if Jermel Charlo cleans out 154, he's a top 10 pound for pound fighter by default, period, end of. But Jermel Charlo is light years away from that. And, you know, we could talk about the eye test all day, all day long, but he's got to get in there against a guy. He, he needs to get in there against a top middleweight and he needs to be more consistent in his performances. And he's kind of floating in no man's land the same way Terrence Crawford is at 147 right now. The major difference is Crawford also won titles at 35 and completely cleaned out 140 before getting to 147. He was the legitimate undisputed champ in one division and a title holder in another. By the way, that title at 135, he won in a foreign country. He traveled to win it. So he had credentials before he even got to 47, right? And there are fighters politically aligned with top rank right now at 140, even 135 and 140, that are eventually going to be at 47 for Crawford to fight. Different situation for Jamal Charlo at 160. He is really in a tough spot. And it's, it's up to him, not his team, I'm sick of fighters saying, oh, it's up to my team. Bullshit, my man. It's up to you. Your team works for you. Stop letting, stop hiding behind your promoter, sanctioning organization, the, the platform you fight on, whatever network it is. No, dude, all these people work for you. You are the product, right? What do I always say in boxing? It, no one gives a shit if it's a WBC fight or if it's on the zone or ESPN. Or, no one cares. They care about the fighter involved. In boxing, the fighter is the brand. You're the talent. That's one thing I give Tiafimo Lopez credit for. He thought he was worth more. He went out and fought for it, and he got more. Just amended his deal with top rank, right? Now, we'll find out if he truly is worth more or not, but he went out and got what he felt he deserved. And he's willing to step up and fight top guys, as he proved against Lomachenko, to get that. I would tell Jamal Charlo, if I were a family member or a friend, I'm getting his ass a little bit and give him a little tough love and say, listen, man, Uncle Al works for you. All these guys work for you. So if you want to fight Andre and prove yourself, if you really, really want to fight these top guys, start calling them out and then behind the scenes, get your people working on it. All he did after this fight was call out Triple G, knowing goddamn well that Triple G ain't going to fight him. Triple G has a deal to fight Murata at the very end of 2021. So the earliest fight between Triple G and Charlo could even happen is next spring. Charlo knows that. So by calling out Triple G after this fight, that was him essentially saying to his fans, I don't give a flying fuck. I'm going to keep fighting guys like Montiel. 
All right. Also on this card, Isaac Cruz Gonzalez scores a unanimous decision win over Francisco Vargas in an entertaining lightweight fight. Vargas has been in some tough wars, getting long in the tooth. I got to think a prime Francisco Vargas beats Gonzalez. So he needs to start thinking about what he's doing here. And also Angelo Leo got a majority decision win in a 122-pound fight. Okay. Whew. That's a hell of a review. Lots of fights. Lots of fights to talk about. <clears throat> now, we got a couple calls here in the line, so let me jump to them, and then we will do the fight preview. All right? Let's do it. All right. 904, you are on the show. 904, go. Mr. Montero, this is Trey in Kennesaw. How are you? Trey, what's up, man? How are you? How you doing? I'm good. I can't complain. Trying to you know, stay away from the storm coming through Atlanta right now. That's right. Yeah, because what we're getting, we're getting that tropical storm, right? That came from the from the uh, Gulf, I think. Yes, sir. Okay, good times. <laughs> so, uh, main, main reason to call. I got a couple notes here. Uh, anyway, where do you have him on your pound for pound list? Uh, for me, I've got him at three. He's behind Canelo and he's behind Josh Taylor. Not really in a way's fault. He's only fighting the guys in front of him, like you said. But I think if he gets to fight that winner of the Donaire fight might move him back to two, but he's in a great spot right now. I completely agree with you on that, man. I think um, I, he's definitely in the top five. I think here's the only things that like I'm locked solid on Canelo's number one right now. And in a way he's definitely in the top five along with uh, Taylor and a couple others, how you rate them after that is kind of up to you, but I'm, I'm good with in a way at number three. And uh, a new name for, uh, anyway, not just the monster, also call him Stocky Bomb because he hates liver so much. <laughs> I like that, dude. That's a good one. I will use that. <laughs> uh, another thing, I watched a bit of the Charlo fight. Uh, one thing I just didn't understand is Montiel consistently was messing with his trunk. Hands down, pushing him down. Charlo had him in a corner and basically just waited for him. I mean, that's prime time. Knock him out. Get your hands on him. but just watched him play with his shorts the entire fight yeah it was kind of bizarre i saw a couple of people tweeting oh this this is the most entertaining one-sided fight i've ever seen i'm like eh, not really um I, I thought montel showed tremendous heart but as far as playing with the trunks my guess is there is something going on with his cup let me just tell you guys out there uh if you've never worn a protective cup in boxing they're extremely uncomfortable i can't stand them and they just do not make the front part big enough <laughs> to, for a man to be comfortable. I'll just leave it at that, okay? Um, th there's not much room there. It's it's extremely uncomfortable. It feels like your package is in a vice. And so if, if you have a cup that's sliding around a little bit, uh, it's not cooperating with you, you're going to be just moving it and pulling it and, and tugging it all the time. And that's what I saw with uh, with Montiel. So maybe there was something going on with the cup. All right. Uh, Canelo, I saw a story last week. It, nothing is a done deal yet, but I'm assuming he's going to fight Plant somewhere around that Mexican Independence Day time frame in September. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Um, the date is, it, it could be like before or after Mexican Independence Day, depending on how some other things roll out. But that is Canelo's date. You know, I think Oscar De La Hoya has a exhibition fight right around that time, too. I don't think that's going to 
affect Canelo's decision at all. But I do think we're going to get Canelo plant uh, this year. And then it wouldn't surprise me at all to possibly see a third fight between Canelo and Triple G next spring. Uh, the only other upset I could think of that happened recently, uh, and I was looking at the betting odds while I was waiting on hold, was the herd loss. Um, oh, yeah. Except the bully, they both, the bully and the herd fight, they both opened up around the same amount of money, minus 1,200 to minus 1,400, depending on the book. But the bully fight, I mean, he jumped up to minus 2,000 plus on fight night. But uh, obviously, being knocked out with that one-hitter quitter, uh, yeah, it's a little different than her just looking like trash. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But you're right. Um, similar odds and 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 heard too. You know, former champion, former unified champion. So he was a much more proven guy than Beck. Beck's a, a prospect, you know. But in terms of betting odds, yeah, right around the same. And like you said, that one hitter quitter, man, it's so definitive. And the fact that Rosado was down in that fight, you know. I think you got it. That fight has to be upset of the year so far. And the only other one I could think of, but it's a prospect, so was Rodriguez getting beat. But he did get, he did, he lost to a very good fighter, uh, Sims. So. An underrated fighter. Yeah, I think that was just a lot of us sleeping on Sims, honestly. Well, that's all I got for you. Great show. Big fan. Glad I got the call in. Looking forward to grabbing a beer with you. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep keep in touch with me this week because uh, you said you had some time this week, right? Maybe we can make it happen. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Stay safe during the storm, man. Stay dry. You too. See you. All right. There he goes. Trey, thanks a lot for calling in, man. Um, Trey lives here in the Atlanta area. We've chatted a bunch, uh, you know, just online and stuff. Um, and uh, he's just never had a chance to call in. But... Uh, yeah, I totally forgot. There's like, cause I'm today it's been all cloudy and I'm like, what the hell's going on? And they're like, oh yeah, there's a tropical storm. <laughs> so that's what's up. Okay. Let's jump to another call real quick. Five, one, three, you're on the show. What's up? Hi, Michael. This is Andrew. Uh, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get your uh, thoughts real quick on what do you think Charlo should do following this fight? I think, uh, I personally think the best fight for him would be Andre because they both kind of need a dance partner right now. But assuming he can't get that, like, you know, if, you know, if he doesn't, isn't able to fight Andre, what do you think he should do to kind of potentially get that fight that everybody at 160 and 168 seems to just be kind of chilling, waiting for Canelo to tap them to get that big payday that he always brings. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you that Andre is the guy. And the reason why, if I'm, if I'm Charlo and I'm really, really serious about wanting to unify titles, you again, you know what Golovkin's doing. You know that Canelo has a mission at 168, and that's everything up there is tied up. Benavidez ain't going to fight you because he's waiting for the Canelo sweepstakes too, as you mentioned. Everybody at 168 is. I would just be banging the drums hard for Demetrius Andre. And for what it's worth, I know for a fact this has been confirmed. Eddie Hearn and DeZone made a career-high payday offer to Charlo to fight Andre, and Charlo's team turned it down. So th I just think that a lot of the things he's been saying, I, I don't believe him because the actions don't back it up. Uh, but go after Andre. If you can't do that, 
then perhaps, you know, do a, a, a one-off at 168 against one of the PBC guys uh, that already lost to Canelo or, you know, somebody like that. Um, maybe a Danny Jacobs. I don't know. Somebody like that. Uh, f- find somebody. But he's got to fight a top name again this year. You know, he just fought and basically it was a glorified workout against Montiel. So, dude, you still got half the year left. He needs to get in the ring again by the end of the year and fight somebody worth a damn. Um, the the other guy I kind of see that makes a lot of sense uh, potentially is if you don't you can't get that fight with Andre or you don't want that, is go with Jaime Munguia because Munguia is you know he's he's a big name still kind of coming up. I don't know if Munguia's team would want that, but it would be a title shot for him, which could be enough to entice his team to do it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, I would love to see that fight. I just don't think Mungia's team will go anywhere near Charlo. I think Charlo would be all wrong for him. Although Mungia is strong. He is rugged. He could probably uh, bully Charlo if he could get inside and survive the power. I just don't think that's the route that they're going to go. But I'd love to see it, man. I'd absolutely love to see it. And then uh, one more quick thing. I heard you talking about the uh... – the upset of the year with your last caller um as uh, uh you know but i think we're not giving mauricio laura's upset over josh warrington enough love that was a huge upset earlier in the year <laughs> good shout out man. he absolutely dominated was that this year holy yeah, shit year. <laughs> man i can't keep up yeah dude i could with uh covid and everything i i um I, I, it's hard. It all blurs together, but d- that's a good shout, Andrew. Hell yeah, man. That was definitely an upset. Absolutely. So that's right up there too, man. Hell yeah. There's been some good upsets this year. Well, I'll let you get on with it, bud. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks cool. a lot, man. But <laughs> man, I completely forgot about that fight. Wow. Yeah. Good one, Andrew. Cause yeah, man, I just, for some reason I thought that was like late, 2020 post COVID has just been a blur. Uh, as you guys know, I've been dealing with, you know, family tragedy and, and all kinds of different things. So it just, you know, it's hard to remember sometimes the dates, especially around that time that was kind of right after my brother died. And, uh, that, that time span is just a blur to me. So, um, man, thanks for reminding me of that one. I'm gonna have to revisit that. All right, eight oh five. You're on TNC. What's up? Hey, Mike. Nothing much. Um, I just uh, wanted to call in because uh, uh, I don't know if anybody's called into your show today or not, but I just found it kind of funny that uh, all the uh, Charlo apologists are trying to make uh, Montiel sound like he was John the Beast Mugabe <laughs> that he beat on Saturday night. And I think it's just hilarious because of the uh, the double standard, no standard that it, uh, the PBC pom-pom waivers like to use where anybody who's not on the PBC roster has to be uh, killer after killer in order to prove how great they really are. But yet their guy can fight a cherry pick, go 12 rounds, and then they make it sound like he was fighting uh, Marvin Hagler in there. It's like, come on. Like, that's ridiculous, man. Like, the guy fought a cherry pick. He looked awful. The cherry pick almost came back and uh, knocked him out a couple of times. But he shouldn't be getting extra credit for going 12 rounds and surviving the cherry pick. 
Like, that's just insane to me. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because Mungia fought earlier in the day, and he fought a guy who's on the same level pretty much as Montiel, yeah. and he blew him out in five rounds. So I think he's better I just than think Montiel. That's a double standard be- yeah, exactly. But um, I just find it funny because if, if Mungia had gone 12 rounds with that guy, oh, my God, we would have never heard the end of it from from the Charlo supporters. They would have said he was a bum, he was overhyped, he was exposed and all this other stuff. But, yeah, Charlo gets a pass? Like, no, it's unbelievable how uh, how these, uh, you know, so-called fans work. Um, and then... Uh, the other thing, too, was uh, good for Gabe Rosado to beat uh, the bully. That was a huge upset for him, especially for a guy like him where he's had a lot of tough, close losses, whether it was because of crappy scorecards right. or because he got cut and couldn't continue. So it was nice to see that guy finally uh, come out on the right side uh, of, a, of a fight for once. Um, it's interesting, though. They're saying that he's going to get Munguia next. Do you think that he's got a legitimate shot to win that fight, or is Munguia maybe just a little bit um, better than most people think? Well, first of all, uh, who am I talking to? You didn't give your name. Oh, sorry. Uh, This is uh, Nacho. I thought it was Nacho. Dude, I thought I recognized that voice. What's up, man? (laughs) I knew Uh, I recognized that voice. Um, Well, okay, well, first of all, I, I completely agree with you on Gabe Rosado, man. I said in the beginning of the show or uh, beginning of the, the review that everybody was feeling good for him. I mean, the entire boxing world. Every I was actually I was doing commentary for a club show here in Atlanta, so I didn't get to see it live. But I made the mistake of looking down at my phone in between fights, and I saw several texts like, "Yo, man, Beck got killed. Beck got crushed." I'm like, "What?" So I went on Twitter and I said, what happened? And everybody started sending me clips, you know, the clip of that knockout. I was like, holy yeah. shit. So then, you yeah. know, of course, I've gone back and watched the fight now. Um, you, you can't help but feel good for Gabe because he's fought everybody. He's done it the hard way. People count him out, including myself. I'll completely own that. And I, I told everybody Beck was going to crush him, you know. So I'm happy for him. Now, going into the Mungia fight, different style. Um, Mungia has shown a, a very good chin so far. So I, I I favor Mungia, but I favor him cautiously. I think that Gabe has a very good chance because of his experience and craft of, of pulling out a decision. As far as the double standards go in relation to uh to Charlo, I completely agree with you there. I'm just I just pulled up Mungia's record. I remember when he went the distance with Takashi Inoue. People shit down his throat on Twitter. I mean, they were shitting all over him because he went the distance with him. And then he had a tough distance fight with Dennis Hogan. I remember that too. Um, And then he had, when he fought Spike O'Sullivan, that went to the 11th round. And a lot of people thought that should have ended, you know, in three or four rounds. So he's been shit all over on Twitter for some of those performances. Golovkin, of course, you know, when he went the distance with Sergei Derevyanchenko, a lot of people were shitting on him. And that's Sergei Derevyanchenko. At that time, he was a top five middleweight. So, yes, there are gross double standards, bro. And a lot of the same people that say, who the hell is Naoya Inouye? He ain't fought nobody. He's a three-division world champion, but they say, he ain't fought nobody. And so there's people out there that don't rate Inouye in their pound-for-pound, but they got Jamal Charlo on their pound-for-pound list. 
it's just how it goes, bro. It, it just in, in in fairness, it does go in all directions. There are guys who do the, who play captain save a hole for top rank for matchroom for everybody. But yeah, the PBC ones are maybe the most prevalent, at least in in the YouTube boxing universe, the boxing Twitter. They probably are the biggest, loudest group, and they just there's double standards there, man. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, just real quick, regarding this weekend's card, are you actually going to that card? I should be, yeah. I should be covering uh, Davis Barrios for Ring Magazine. Yeah, I should be there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not all that thrilled about that card, to be honest. I think there's a lot of very um, substandard matchups that they're trying to push as a pay-per-view and I just have a feeling that that uh, once the dust settles, PBC is not going to release the numbers again on Davis's pay per view, but they're going to be putting it out there that oh, it sold all this, you know, like it was a great success and all this other stuff. But in reality, they're not going to release any of the numbers, just like they didn't release any of the numbers for the um, Floyd Logan fight, even though it's been almost three weeks since that happened already. So. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, uh, you know, but I do find one thing interesting. I heard someone comment, um, yesterday on a different podcast. I find it hilarious that, uh, the PBC is acting like that main event is for a real title right. when Josh Taylor is the undisputed champ at 140. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm, that's, that's my biggest complaint about this whole thing, man. Like, I, look, I think Gervonta Davis is an explosive young fighter and one of the top young talents in the sport. So I enjoy watching him fight. And I do think that it's a decent fight between him and Barrios. It's not pay-per-view worthy, but if this were on Showtime, regular Showtime, I wouldn't complain at all. But man, this ain't no damn title fight. We just had a complete unification. Josh Taylor just unified the whole division. And, you know, the WBA, they, they just suck. They suck dick, man. They're terrible. And I understand... Mayweather Promotions is trying to push Javante Davis now as this multi-division champion. But, man, that title that he won off Santa Cruz was bullshit. He was never a light, a legit mm-hmm. lightweight champion. The legit lightweight champion's Teofimo Lopez, man. Like, this stuff has gotten yeah. out of control with these titles, bro. No, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and then one last thing with, uh, like you were mentioning, Inoue, great performance by him. Um I would definitely love to see if the winner of uh, in new, I mean, um, Casemiro and Donaire, especially if it ends up being Casemiro, if the PBC will actually have the ball to put him in there against anyway. Because I have a feeling that if it's Casemiro, the PBC is not going to go anywhere near anyway. They're going to try to protect uh, those two belts and keep them away from him. But if if it's a Donaire then I would definitely love to see a unification fight between those two before uh, Inoue leaves uh, 118. Because I don't think there's much left for him to do at 118 except to just get the other belts and then become unified again. Yeah, for the record, I've talked to both. Actually, I actually talked to Nonito and Rachel Donaire yesterday. And I've talked to Casamero last week. I talked to his promoter, Sean Gibbons, yesterday. They have all told me that, you know, they're focused on the fight August 14th, but they all want Naoya Inoue. Donaire wants a rematch with them. He's been wanting that. And Casemiro, it's funny, man. Casemiro calls Inoue the Japanese turtle. 
because he says he's hiding in his shell from him. He's like, he, he's like, I'm the real monster. He's the Japanese turtle. So I know Casimiro wants in a way. So if the, we don't see the winner of Donaire and Casimiro fight in a way, that'll be a huge disappointment because I know the fighters want it. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Have a good one, brother. Uh-huh. You too. All right. Man, oh, man. You know what? we got one more call, guys, so then I'll get to this preview. But, yeah, um, I, I really, really hope that politics doesn't get in the way of a, a complete unification at bantamweight because that would be special. And the fighters there, that's such a good division right now at the very, very top. You can't go wrong, man. You just can't go wrong. Any combination between Donaire, Inoue, Casimiro is amazing. All right, well, one more call, guys. Uh, 847, you're on TNC. 847, what's up? Hey, Mike. This is Rich. How you doing? Good. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Just uh, want to give you a call. Just make a, a couple comments over the past weekend. Um, first, I, I want to comment on the... Uh, the Chavez card, the tribute to the Kings card. Um, <laughs> first of all, it was, it was you know what? It was actually an entertaining card. Um, uh, to me, the two big winners of the card, well, first of all, was uh, Chavez Sr. I know he's doing his thing, and I, I believe uh, they were promoting it as it was his last uh, exhibition bout. Yeah. And um, for his age to make 143 pounds is pretty impressive. Pretty damn impressive, if you ask me. Um, yeah, the fact that he's making 140, almost the weight where he was in his peak at junior welterweight is pretty amazing. And then, and the funny thing is, he performed better than both of his sons on that night, meaning Chavez Jr. and Omar Chavez. Oh, that's right, Omar Chavez was on the um, card too. I forgot about that. Yeah, and he he looked pretty bad, um, considering that he fought uh, Canelo's brother, that's Ramon right. Alvarez, and they're pretty much the same level. I mean, they're you know, they're not really that great of fighters or anything like that. Um, and they fought like pretty much in, in slow motion, but, uh, he just was nailing, um, uh, Omar Chavez all night, he just, you know, made him look pretty bad. And it was pretty much a one-sided fight for, um, Ramon Alvarez. Um, okay. but you know, going back to Chavez here, yeah, he just looked good. And, you know, and I like, I don't mind, I don't mind the exhibition bouts, you know what I mean? It's just more for entertainment purposes and just something that he likes to do. And and to be quite honest, I've seen his other past exhibition bouts and more entertaining than definitely like, you know, your Mayweather, Logan, Paul fight, you know? Right, <laughs> absolutely. He goes in there, he gives it all he's got. Yeah, he so, always fight with heart and passion um, a lot. He, he, he does. And um, a comment on... Uh, Chavez Jr., I mean, of course, nothing surprising that he had a terrible performance or he even missed weight. But once I heard that he missed weight, you know, obviously again, I, I really felt that Silva well, had a really good chance of, of winning that fight. And uh, I have to give credit to him for winning that fight in a boxing match at the age of 40, was it, 46 years old. Yeah. You know, he's like, uh, you know, a legend in the MMA world. But to, for him to accomplish that, was still was still impressive. I mean, they, people could say, you know, of course Chavez didn't take the fight seriously and missed weight, and all that is true. But we have to give Silva credit for taking that win. So, yeah, I can, I agree. That's a very I, I good think, point. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And with Chavez Junior, um, I think I don't know what people 
expect much from him anymore. I could tell you based on the crowd uh, reaction, there wasn't much of a wasn't much of a applause for him or anything, even coming to the ring. I think people are just really uh, tired of the Chavez Jr. antics. You know, I think I think people are sick of him now. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems that in way. My, in my opinion. His his yeah, welcome I has been worn that. out, right? I mean, he's just worn out that welcome a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, and I mean, people are just kind of like um, waiting for this guy to retire. But um, I mean, of course, I was interested in the crossover match, and um, that was a pretty entertaining card overall. Um, just want a couple of quick comments on the uh, on the Mongian card, real quick. Um, first of all, the, the on the Gabriel Sato fight, I. Um, I know he was an underdog in that fight, but I, I really felt that um, that he had a good shot of winning. I, I didn't want to like I never I didn't write him out. Actually, I won eighty five dollars on his win because I was pretty pretty confident he was going to take the win. Nice on on Beck the Bully. I, I just felt that um, as a lot of hype they were giving on Beck the Bully, and even though Rosado secured a little shop warrant at the stage of his career, to me this was a big step up for Beck the Bully. In fighting Rosado, that's the way I look at it. To me, it was like a huge step up, and I just couldn't believe the odds were, you know, pretty pretty wide in favor of Becca Bully. I felt like, all right, I'll put a little bit of money on uh, Rosado. I mean, of course, I only bet like ten bucks. So I'm not, like, I'm not like a big time gambler, but, <laughs> but hey, if you uh, bet ten, and you got eighty five, man. That, that's pretty good. I did. That's yeah, good. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty impressive. Um, and. On the on the on the women's bout between um, Marlon Esparza and Yvette Silva, uh, I personally thought Silva won that fight. I, I'm not sure if you were able to um, uh, watch that fight. I no, I haven't seen it your, yet. Um, your gig going on, but if you watch the fight, um, it was pretty close. But it, I thought Silva won that fight, and I think a lot of people will, will agree with that. She even dropped Esparza in that first round too. Um, I personally thought that as far as I didn't, did not win that fight. I'll have to kind check it out. All right. There might've been some home cooking there. Yeah. Let me know what you think. You know, okay. I, I think so. Let me know what you think. I thought Silva did enough to win. It was a, it was a good uh, competitive battle, but I thought she did enough to win. It was a knockdown. I think that, um, that's still a deal for me for Silva to win that fight. So there was, if I believe there was even some booze after the, uh, after the fight while they're interviewing, uh, as far as uh, I heard some booze okay. in, the, in the audience. Interesting. So, I don't think, yeah, I think I, I kind of, uh, everybody else watching the fight felt the, um, felt the same way. Um, so I don't kind of, I, I want to comment. I also want to comment too on, on, on anyway, um, even though he fought an overmatched opponent, I think what a lot of fighters, like, even like a Canelo, when they fight overmatched opponents, they, they just look spectacular in doing it. And I think that's a lot of these, that's what, that's why these guys are like top pound pound fighters, you know, right. they, they um even though they fight you know overmatched opponents he's getting rid of the guy like really quick you know what i mean so yeah. he's like disposing them and i think a lot of the top uh, elite fighters that what makes them stands out that when they have the overmatched opponents they just blow them out you know so it wasn't like you know he dragged or he struggled and, and that's why i think anyway is at that top level um i think i put him i put him at number two pound for pound and on my list okay so i think he's he's right up there yeah, with obviously Canelo being uh, number one. So, I'm not mad at that at all, man. I could, and, I could um, see that. No. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, and then going to, and and I think um, um, this weekend's of uh, boxing is pretty good. I, I like both matchups. I like um, 
taking Barrios, and I also like the uh, Lomachenko and uh, Nakatani fight too. I like them both. I think they're both yeah. good matches this weekend. Uh, as far as the, yeah, I know like the other guy I think commented about the title fight or like we know that's pretty much bogus the WBA title fight and save for Tank and Barrios, but I'm not looking. We we could just get rid of the whole WBA and just look at the fight itself. It's it's a risky fight for Tank in my opinion. Move up to 140 fighting one of the top guys at 140. So um, if Tank if Tank not sell Barrios. I have to give, you know, Tank a little bit more uh, recognition because as of yet, like you said, he's exciting. He's fun to watch. And I, and I think he's a good fighter. But he has not yet proven that he's like, was even a top lightweight. Yeah. The best win on record was against Padraza. And everybody else, you know, Fedic, you know, um, Gamboa, like, I don't count those. Or even Santa Cruz because, you know, I know Santa Cruz is a taller guy, but he started as a world champion in Batman weight, moving up weight exactly. and fighting Tank. So exactly. I can't put Tank in that top level. However, you know, if he you know takes care of Barrios, then okay, then we can have a little different discussion. But I think that's a good matchup. So kind of curious to see how he does in this matchup and see you know you can keep that knockout streak going on, or he's going to have problems against a, a you know a guy a younger guy but a legit one forty pounder. It should be interesting. So. Well, that's a perfect segue into my preview, bro. So I'm going to get to it. Okay, man. <laughs> good stuff as always, man. <laughs> good too, man. All right. Oh, it was nice talking to you, Mike. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Bye-bye. There he goes. There he goes. All right. Thanks a lot, Rich. Good stuff, man. Um, all right. Let's get to this preview, guys, because that is a perfect segue. I should also mention, uh, I think I made a mistake earlier. I said that Tank's win against... Santa Cruz was for a title at 135. No, it was his fight against Yoriokas Gamboa, I think, for a bogus WBA title at 135. The fight against Santa Cruz was somehow for the 130 and 135 bogus WBA titles. Both of them were bogus. So the one title that I give Javante Davis credit for winning that I really see as a legit title was when he beat Pedraza, Jose Pedraza, at 130. I can't remember if that was the WBO or IBF. I really, I can't remember which damn alphabet group it was, but whatever belt that was, that was legit. That is the one title that I look at in Javante Davis's whole career as a legitimate title. And I think that's the one he lost on the scale, right? I think there was maybe one defense or something, and then he lost it on the scale. So correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys, but that's the way uh, I kind of view his career. And, there's so much potential and everything, but it, there's so much smoke and mirrors with the way he's marketed. And that's what Floyd Mayweather does. So Mayweather promotions, and that's how they're promoting him. And, and I, I recognize that every promoter does it. Every single promoter is full of shit from the top guys down to the club level guys. All of them are full of shit because promoters, their job is to kind of upsell the fighters that they represent, Right. They represent um, these fighters, so they they sell the the they show their best assets. They exaggerate the best, and they try to minimize and trivialize, if not hide, the worst assets the fighters have. That's what they're supposed to do. Think of a promoter talking about their fighter the way people talk about their children. Oh, little Billy today, he uh, climbed the fence, you know, and in three seconds, it was a new record. Who gives a shit, right? But uh, 
<laughs> if little Billy's your kid, then that's the most amazing thing on earth, right? And you're going to talk about that on your Instagram. Look at Billy climb the fence. I don't know. That's a horrible excuse, but you guys know where I'm, where I'm going with this. That's how a promoter talks about their fighters, right? They just exaggerate the hell out of everything. So I get what Mayweather Promotions is doing. And the casual fans eat that shit up. And 99% of people that are watching um, or that are going to buy the Gervonta Davis pay-per-view that Mayweather Promotions is hoping these are casual fans that only watch boxing when Gervonta Davis is fighting, right? Kind of the way a lot of Floyd fans were. They only watch boxing when Floyd fought. That's what they're kind of marketing to right now. But, dude, if you want to branch out and you want to get more people invested, you got to step up the level of opposition. And the titles don't matter, dude. No one gives a shit. Because now being a three, four, five-division titleist, it's not that rare anymore. The first few guys to do that were extremely rare, all-time great-level fighters. Now, dude, technically Adrian Broner, I think Ricky Burns maybe, had titles in four-way classes, versions of titles. Robert Guerrero had interim, regular, intercontinental titles in multiple divisions, right? By the way, I saw one of you guys ask in the chat, what is an intercontinental title? I think what that's supposed to represent, and I don't work for any sanctioning organization, so don't quote me here, but there's a national title, and then there's a world title, and then there's something kind of in between that that's intercontinental, where you're basically kind of in between those two things, right? You're bigger than one nation, your title, but smaller than a world title. It's an intercontinental title. That's basically the way I see it. All right. Uh, oh, CJ Duncan with the super chat. What's up, my man? He says, cheers to number 42. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, I've been 42 years old for a week. And I still feel pretty good. I think I'm doing all right for 42. I appreciate it, CJ. I hope you're doing well, my man. CJ's a good dude. Good dude. You need to call in, man. It's been a while. All right. Let's get to this preview. All right. I already promised I was there. And then I started blabbing. So now we're going to do it. Okay, Saturday, June 26, we have three competing cards. Let's start with matchroom boxing on the zone in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Julio Cesar Martinez going up against fellow Mexican Joel Cordova, defending his WBC flyweight title for the third time for Cordova. This is a big step up in class. You kind of never know what you're going to get with some of these Mexican kids. Uh, maybe he could fight. Maybe he can't. Right? Maybe he's going to pull a, a Montiel, a Juan Montiel against Charlo. What we saw last weekend, maybe we're going to get that from Cordova against Martinez. I don't expect that, though. I expect Martinez to be explosive and win this fight big. Also on this card, Diego Pacheco, undefeated 20-year-old prospect from Los Angeles, six foot four, 11-0. He is on the undercard. And then top rank on ESPN from the Virgin Hotels in Las Vegas, Nevada. In the main event, Vasily Lomachenko making his return to the ring from that loss to Teofimo Lopez last October, going right into a tough fight against a, a top 10 legit proven lightweight in Masa Yoshi Nakatani. Uh, Nakatani is coming off the best win of his career last December against Felix Verdejo. He had lost to Teofimo Lopez in the fight before that. So both of these guys, Recently fought and lost to Tiafima Lopez. Kind of makes sense why they're fighting. But when you look at the matchup, man, age-wise, these guys are similar age. Lomachenko's 33, Nakatani's 32. But Loma is a very old 33. 
because he had that extensive amateur career, 300 plus fights. And as a pro fighter, he's been fighting naturally larger men for most of his pro career. He's really a featherweight and he bulks up. He bulked up to be at 130, but he really has to bulk up to fight at 135. He probably still could make 126 if he really wanted to. It would be a struggle, but he could make 130 easily right now. That's the truth. So uh, fighting against naturally larger guys, having all those amateur fights, he's an old 33. Nakatani, yeah, he's been in some tough fights as a pro, but he didn't have this big extensive amateur career, and he's pretty much punching down at everybody he's fighting. He is a big, tall, physical, lightweight. So he doesn't have the, the miles on the odometer that Lomachenko does. Also, Loma, five foot seven, 65-inch reach. Nakatani, five foot 11, 71-inch reach. All those factors make this a very intriguing fight. We don't know where Lomachenko's head is at after that loss, uh, the, the layoff, right? It's been, what's it? That was October. So it's been over half a year, right? Eight months or so. Uh, maybe the rest did him good. I, I don't know. But all things considered, when you look at the last fight each of these guys had, Loma took a tough loss. Nakatani had an impressive win. So one guy's kind of tr you know, trending up, one guy's kind of trending down. These guys are meeting at a very interesting time in their careers. I'm really, really excited for this fight. Also on this card, uh, California-based Kazakh, uh, Kazakhstan native Zanabek Alam Kanuli. Alim Kanuli. Whew. Tough names, nine and one uh, uh, record. No, no, he's not nine and one. He's nine and zero. Oh. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, Southpaw, 2016 Olympian, going up against Rob Brandt. This is a middleweight fight. A nice step up fight for the Kazakh fighter. I like this matchup a lot. Rob Brandt is an experienced guy. He held a piece of a world title briefly. Uh, I think he beat uh, Murata, had briefly at the WBA, right? Even though the real middleweight champ was Canelo. Uh, it might have been Triple G then. Then, then of course, Canelo. And then it's kind of blown up now. But um, still, he held a piece of a title. And he's an experienced guy. So for Alam... Jeez, <laughs> why is it so hard to say his name? Alam Kandalui. For him, uh, this is a nice step up against Brandt. I like this doubleheader. This is a good show from top rank. I definitely will be checking this one out. But I'll be working one other fight here. Uh, real quick, I want to get to the super chat from Feeling Dangerous 113. Thank you so much. He says, thanks for answering the question. I promised the $5. It's confusing with all of these titles sometimes. LOL, my bad. No, I, I completely understand. And for the record, there's more titles. Okay, there's... Regular, interim, super, diamond, gold, silver, uh, I'm forgetting some, franchise. But then there's also like regional titles, right? So there's um, here in the, the United States, there's a lot of state championships. You'll see like Texas heavyweight champion and stuff like that. Those aren't really re recognized, you know, outside of that local commission though. But with the sanctioning groups, there's intercontinental titles. There's Asia Pacific titles. There's international titles. There's a bunch of these kind of titles that are kind of in between being a national champion, regional champion, and a world champion. They kind of so it's a way to work yourself up in the sanctioning organization system. And the way it's supposed to work, okay, in boxing right now is when you go pro as a prospect, you fight for the minor titles. There are sanctioning organizations like the NBA. 
and groups like that. Uh, the ABF is a brand new one. And is a guy that's 5-0 and or whatever, 10-0 and maybe, uh, fighting on club shows, on undercards. You're going to fight for those kinds of titles. Then you're going to step up and start fighting for WBA, Intercontinental, WBC, International. Maybe I got those backwards. But those sorts of titles or WBO, Asia Pacific titles. I think there's a Latin American title. I think there might be an African title. Um, I know there used to be. So, so like you, you go you go for those like regional championships and that's the way you, you work yourself up into the top 10. And then you get lined up for the interim titles, the silver titles, the regular titles, what have you. And it goes from there. That's the way it's supposed to work. Um, let's see. Sports Talk with Troy says Loma beats Nakatani, but it's going to be close. I'm with you, man. That that's That's a tough fight. That's a tough fight. LPS in the chat says, I rate Chavez Jr. above Crawford. Love it. Love the trolling. That's what you do with Chavez Jr. Just troll. Just troll. I Personally, man, I got Chavez Jr. rated pound for pound number one. Even though Canelo beat him, that was a robbery. I think Chavez should rank higher than uh, Canelo. Sports Talk with Troy also says, I feel since Tank has missed weight at 130 and 135, 140 might be the best weight for him. Barrios is going to be tough. The thing is, dude, I feel you on that, but his last fight, I think, was at 130, and he made weight. Uh, he's left, I think, home, and now he trains in Vegas, which I think is much, much better for him. And, um, I, I, you know, I, don't, I just don't – 140, man, that might just be too much. That might be too much. CJ Duncan says, Booker T is the greatest intercontinental champ. Boom. Chris Bergen asks, when will you be fighting in the ring, Mike? Hmm. I can't talk about that yet. I need another week or two to uh to put that on record, my man. So more to come. Zach D says he's too short for 140. Yeah, he's short. He's definitely a little dude. He's a very little guy. Let's talk about this fight, guys. PBC on Showtime pay-per-view, State Farm Arena, Atlanta, Georgia. ATL. In the main event, Gervonta Davis going up against Mario Barrios for a bogus 140-pound title. Who gives a shit about the WBA title? Let's just scrap that. Let's not even talk about it. It's just going to annoy me. <laughs> there are some similarities, and I've seen these similarities made on Twitter, between this fight and Loma's fight against Nakatani. And let me tell you what's going to happen this weekend, okay? If I'm pulling out my crystal ball here, all right? Here's what's going to happen. Lomachenko and Nakatani is going the distance. I think Nakatani has a very good chance of actually pulling the upset. I don't think he will, though. I think Lomachenko is going to pull out a close decision, and it's going to be hard for him at times. He's going to struggle at times in that fight, and it's going to be a tough 116-112, maybe 115-113 kind of matchup. That is a tougher fight than a lot of you guys think. But even if Loma wins fairly handedly, 117-111, something like that, it's going the distance. Gervonta Davis, on the other hand, is probably going to knock out Mario Barrios. And I know he is rated as a top 10, 140-pounder right now. He's not that proven, guys. Let me pull up his record real quick, okay? So bear with me here as I type his name in. And this is not to disrespect Mario Barrios, but Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather Promotions, Javante Davis's team, they have a certain business plan. I've been telling you guys this for years. I'm not saying they're the only ones. I'm not trying to shit on them. 
It's just the reality of the situation. They scout. They know what they're doing when they make these matchups, okay? And they see things in Barrios that I see and that a few others out there see and are talking about. When I look at his record, I'm looking at Barrios' record right now. He is 26-0. and 0. That looks damn impressive. He's 5'10", 71-inch reach. He's basically the size of Nakatani, just a pinch shorter, but basically the same size. Meanwhile, Javante Davis is actually a couple inches shorter than Loma. He does have a longer reach, though. He has longer arms. He's definitely a bigger, stronger guy than Lomachenko, but he's more short and squat, right? So on the surface, matchup-wise, size-wise, it looks like these are very similar fights. Nakatani is going to be tougher for Loma than Barrios is going to be for Davis. When I look at Davis's record, I'm not going to go through every damn fight, but just scroll down the names, guys. On, on BoxRec here, there's several of these fights that don't even have one star, but it's a lot of one stars and two stars, a couple of three stars. He's never had a four-star opponent. This is his first, and this is on box rack and i think their rating systems goes from no stars to five stars that's how they rate the level of fight this is considered a four-star fight by them <clears throat> but um the best opponent he has fought so far is batir akhmedov who by the way is going to fight on the undercard uh, he's going up against uh dominican republic native algenis mendez uh who who now lives mendez now lives in yonkers new york but um barrios and Akhmedov fought in 2019. I was there for that fight. And even though Akhmedov was down twice, there's a lot of people in the crowd that thought that he won that fight and got ripped off. And that is the best opponent he has faced to date. Gervonta Davis is a cut above Akhmedov, right? He's definitely more explosive, a much bigger puncher. If I pull up Akhmedov's record real quick, let's just go all the way with this, all right? Akhmedov does have seven KOs and eight wins, but you look at his level of opposition, not very good either. So I'm not saying Barrios is a bad fighter because he's not. And he is in his physical prime, okay? But he hasn't fought anything like Gervonta Davis talent-wise, power-wise, explosiveness-wise. And he is not going to have the craft to protect his body and to protect against hooks and once Tank really starts lining him up, timing him, and setting up his power, as long as Tank fights disciplined early on, takes his time, sets things up. If I were Tank, I would jab my way in, straight right to the body. Jab my in, jab my way in, straight right hand to the body. Once you got Barrios thinking about that, you can start feigning that shot, throw left hooks up top. Once you go with the left hooks up top, then you can start getting the left hooks down below. Once you get the left hooks down below uh, and he's looking for that, you can faint. You can even faint the stab to the body and come with overhand rights. He's going to have so many options to get under or around Barrios's guard. And Tank is so much faster, more explosive, and definitely has better craft. I think Javante Davis is going to knock Barrios out. And I'm telling you guys what's going to happen on Twitter. The usual suspects, the same ones who were praising Charlo for his performance against Montel this week are going to be shitting all over Lomachenko, struggling and going to distance with Nakatani and praising Davis as a three-division champion for beating and stopping Mario Barrios. That's what's going to happen, guys. 
So you heard it here. All right. Also on this card, Erickson Lubin, who is 5-0 since his KO1 loss to Jamel Charlo in 2017, going up against Jason Rosario, making his ring return from the KO8 loss to Jamel Charlo last September. So both of these guys have knockout losses to Jamel Charlo, the better of the two Charlo brothers, at least resume-wise so far, and um, fighting each other. This is an interesting fight. This is the most interesting fight on this card, in my opinion. This fight's better than the main event. And I actually think it's more competitive and intriguing than the main event. If I'm proven wrong and Barrio shows us levels that we've never seen before, and he shows vast improvement from that fight two years ago against Batir Akhmadev, I'll give him full credit. I'll eat my crow. I'll own it. All right. But for the most part, again, Mayweather promotions know what they're doing, they have a certain plan in mind. And I'm not going to use the term cherry pick, but they chose Barrios for a reason. The WBA helped him out because he has a piece of the WBA title. That's good marketing for Tank to his casual fans. But style-wise, they're fighting this guy for a reason. If they were really interested in fighting for the legitimate 140-pound championship, we know who that guy is. If they were legitimately interested in fighting for the 135-pound championship, we know who that guy is, right? They're not interested in those fights. There's a reason for that. All right, guys. That is it for this week, man. We get out of here. We're going for about an hour and a half. Great calls today. Thank you very much. Ooh, one foot out the door in the chat. He says, uh, Deontay's cherry pick gone wrong trilogy. That's the definition of a cherry pick that gone wrong. That whole calling out Tyson Fury thing when the top two heavyweights at the time were Deontay and Joshua and uh, they went after a guy who wasn't even rated at that time he had been suspended stripped out of the ring had fought a live body in three years why'd they go after Fury because they thought that was easy pickings and they could call himself lineal champion what happened cherry pick gone wrong will we see that this Saturday in Atlanta I don't know it's always possible I don't think so but it's always possible all right guys thank you so much We'll do it again next Monday. I'll see you at the fights.